mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, The King's Purchase. His scripture text to be taken from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24, verses 17 through 25. Here now, Pastor Moody. Amen. Today, of course, is Palm Sunday. It's uh, Next Sunday is Easter. Dylan mentioned that. And this is the day that we recognize the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And uh, I'm going to touch on that a little bit this morning, but I want to just kind of throw back to the book of 2 Samuel and preach a little while this morning. If you want to stand with me, we're going to chapter, the last chapter of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. This is a time period right at the, near the end of David's reign, and in fact, not long before the end of his life. And something took place that caused David to do something that I think that really just set Jerusalem up for the time when Jesus would come with that triumphal entry, set us up as the church, amen, to be the voice of God in the world. And it's just a powerful, powerful thing. David was an awesome man of God. And, uh, you know, so many times people talk about David, they, they remember the failure of his life. And he did fail. He failed a couple of times. I'm going to talk a little bit about one of them today. But can I tell you, David was perhaps before... Christ came the greatest king the world had ever seen. What a man of God. Amen. God said, he's a man after my own heart. Amen. He knew and understood under that Old Testament economy, he understood grace. Can you say amen? Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 24. I'm going to verse number 17. And the Bible said, David spoke unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. And have done wickedly, but these sheep, these sheep, what have they done? Let now your hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up and raise up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aroni the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord had commanded. And Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Arona went out and bowed himself before the king on the face, on his face upon the ground. Amen. And Arona said, Wherefore is my Lord the king? Come to his servant. And David said, To buy the threshing floor. Say that with me. To buy the threshing floor from you. To build an altar, say that again, would you? To build an altar unto the Lord that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arona said unto David, Let not my Lord, let my Lord the king take and offer what seems good unto him. Behold, here be the oxen for the for the burnt sacrifice, and the threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arona, these things did Arona as a king give unto the king. 
And Rona said unto thee, unto the king, the Lord God accept thee. Listen to what David said. But the king said unto Rona, nay, but I will surely buy it from you at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which did cost me nothing. This will not be a cheap experience, not even for the king. Can you say amen? So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Amen. But David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so the Lord was entreated or, or God was turned away from the judgment for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. I want to preach just a little bit this morning on the thought of the king's purchase. The king's purchase. What David paid for is probably one of the most contested and strived for pieces of real estate in the world. It was Mount Moriah. It's the spot where the, we can know now as the Temple Mount. It's the place where Abraham offered up Isaac. Can you say amen? It's a place where Solomon would build that glorious temple. And can I tell you one day, it's the place where a temple will be rebuilt and the king himself will come from glory and rule this world for a thousand years. Preaching just a little bit today on the thought the king's purchase. Father, let your will be done. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us, challenge us to realize the importance of who we are and what we do in the world today. Let your will be done. God, David, David, what a man. A man that knew grace and forgiveness and mercy. A man that spent his whole life honoring you. God, we just pray for your blessing today as we try and endeavor to preach what you've laid on our heart. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Glory to God. As I mentioned, this took place later on in David's life. It was, in fact, many years after the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Amen. It was also many years after the rebellion of Absalom and his death, David's son. In fact, David is well on in years at this place and his health is failing. The Bible in chapter 21 of this book tells us that David is growing faint. He's not as strong as he used to be. They actually go out to battle with the Philistines and David is a warrior. How many knows that? David's a warrior. He's, he's been a man of war. And that's why God wouldn't allow him to build the temple. He goes into the battle and the victories, the battle's going well, but suddenly David begins to get weary. The Bible said he becomes faint. He's almost to the place of passing out. And there, there was a giant who was one of the sons of Goliath, and his name was Ishbibinab. And he had a great spear and a great uh, sword. And he saw this. He said, I'll kill him now. I'll put out the light of Israel. But when he did, there was a man by the name of Zariah who was one of David's mighty men. He rose up and killed the giant. Can somebody say amen? What David had raised up was now fighting on his behalf. And uh, so the men of Israel at that point came together and they took an oath. They swore unto David and said, from here on, you'll not go to battle anymore. Amen. We're not taking a chance on losing you. Boy, I feel the Lord right now. They said, we're not going to let the light of Israel be put out. 
You're God's anointed, hallelujah. They remembered the first king, the first anointed one, Saul, and how that he oppressed the people and how he was a, a man that was controlled by demonic spirits. But how many understands David had been a man upon whom the Holy Spirit had came and abode upon him. He was powerful, glory to God. And that all of his life, he'd moved in the anointing and, and saved the time, except the time when he did fail, amen, with Bathsheba. And now at this time, he's beginning to grow weak. And I started thinking about what David's life represented. Can I tell you that sometimes age and failing health with people can bring about feelings of, un, of insecurity, not knowing, you know, how, how am I going to be able to stand? How am I going to be able to make it? Amen. I, I know in the ministry, the 42 years of preaching, 43 years of being saved, I've dealt with preachers. I've been the president of a ministerial association now for, for uh, over uh, about 12 years. And uh, I've been a part of the leadership of that for over 20. Been involved with others. I've, I've been acquainted with great preachers down through the years. And I've watched some of these men as age would begin to come on and health would begin to fail. When they would have a fear of, of not being able to, to maintain what God had done in their life. So sometimes that brings feelings of insecurity. Can I tell you, also it uh, brings... Uh, feelings sometimes or inclinations towards a damaging pride in life's accomplishments. And this is sort of what happened with David. The Bible says, you know, that, uh, uh, that whatever the reason that David commanded Joab to take a census or to number the fighting men of Israel. I remember a time when David hid in a cave with 300 men. Amen. They were disgruntled, disenfranchised, and bankrupt when they came to David. And they became mighty men because of his anointing. I, I want to tell you something. Because of the anointing, yokes are destroyed. Can I tell you something? That's why we need to be a Pentecostal church. Somebody help me preach this morning. Because the world doesn't just need to see formality. The world just doesn't need to see, you know, remodeled or, or new structures or, or, or you know, great edifices built up to a man's name. But what the world needs to see is a church that moves in the anointing. The world, <laughs> whoo, glory to God, needs to see a church that can kill giants. Somebody help me. The world needs to see a church that's got to take power over lions, amen, when they come out against the sheep. The world needs to see a church, amen, like David, that even when the judgment of God is being poured out, they can stand up and God will stop what he's doing, amen, and give mercy in the midst of judgment. Uh, you're not hearing me preach this morning. I've come to tell you that I'm not feeling weary or worn down, but I'm feeling moved and motivated, thank God. I'm ready for Pentecost again. Again, I'm ready for an outpouring. You say, preacher, it ain't even Easter yet. Yeah, but we're on our way. Thank God to a resurrection. We're on our way to a Pentecostal outpouring. I'm here to tell you today, we move in what God has been doing and it's time for the church to lift up its head and amen and look heavenward glory to God and begin to sing as they were this morning. He's the only one that's worthy. He's the only one, amen, that deserves our praise. Can I go a little farther and say he deserves our time? He deserves our attention. We need to walk, amen, in a relationship with God that is spirit-anointed, spirit-filled, and spirit-led. Glory to God. Give him praise if you would. 
As I said, the Bible, matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, uh, states that this was at the end of David's reign and probably during even the time that he was, that he was having talks with Solomon who would take his place and he was grooming him to take over. There was about to be a transition for Israel. They were about to go, oh listen, they'd went from Saul who was a failure to David who was God's man to Solomon who would inherit the fruit of what the life of David had been and build upon that and then later himself become a failure. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying to you? There was transfer that was taking place and, and during this time, for some reason, amen, the first verse of this chapter says that God was angry with Israel and moved David against them saying, go and number Israel and Judah. Amen, take the census. Now, I want to tell you, I studied this and I went back into Exodus and I went back into when Moses was in control and God told Moses several times to take a census, to number the people, to know how many fighting men there were, how many priests, Levites, how many worshipers there were. And as I studied this, some of the comments that I read, some of the men said we can't under, really have no, no reason why God would tell Moses to do this and tell David and the kings following not to do it. And here's what my thought was when God raised Moses up to bring Israel out of bondage and brought them, amen, was taking them through that wilderness. He was numbering them to let them know something that God would say later through Moses. God didn't choose you because you were great and the biggest nation and big in number. God chose you because you were the smallest. And I numbered you because I wanted you to know you didn't have a chance against people like Amalek and the others that would come out against you. I wanted you to know that it was that fire by day, amen, by night and a cloud by day. I wanted you to know that it was that rock that followed you in the wilderness. But now they're established, they're in the land. And all of a sudden God's saying, you don't need to take numbers, amen. You just need to trust me. And so First Chronicles says in chapter 21 that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number them. Now that's not a contradiction. I believe what really happened was that God was upset with the people because of failure and so he, he allowed Satan just like he allowed him in the days of Job to move Israel to go against what God wanted and David did it can I say it because of as I said his age his failing health whether it was pride or whether it was insecurity it was in his heart and he did it are you hearing me as a result of all that 70,000 are you hearing me of the people of Israel died. And uh, Gad came to him, the seer, the prophet, and said, God's given you three choices. You can take seven years of famine. You can flee before your enemy for three months. Or you can have three days in a plague on the land. You remember David's response. Don't let me fall into the hands of men. Let me fall into the judgment of God because he may turn and show mercy. And so the story unfolds. At uh, that time, all of a sudden, the angel of death begins to move and 70,000 die. 
It's odd, the scripture said, when, they, when he started to move against Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place, amen, where David, it's, it's, it's where Moriah is. It's where David's gonna purchase, amen, this field. It's, it's the city of God, somebody help me. It's gonna be the city of the king. And so when the father sees the death angel moving toward Jerusalem, amen, come on, the Bible said that God relented. He, he, he stopped it. He said, no, don't move any farther. And so when I started to read this story, amen, I started to think David bought this threshing floor. God came back, amen, through this prophet and said, David said, I've sinned. People are dying. It's my fault. What can I do? Can I tell you something today, folks? This is what the Lord put on my heart. If there was ever a time when the church needs to see the king coming, amen, if there was ever a time like it was in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that we need to see the glory of the Lord coming back into the body of Christ, back into the church, come on, we need it today. Hallelujah, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need refreshing. We need, amen, to repent and turn our hearts toward God. I wish somebody helped me preach this morning. I'm I'm here to tell you our world's in a mess. Amen. People are dying. Amen. Not just 70,000, but by the millions they're dropping in our generation. And we must not be a people, amen, who can turn the other way and lay our head on a soft pillow and not be concerned. I thought about Friday night in that World Missions to Asia service. I sat there with tears in my eyes as I saw the heart of men to go to a people. Amen. Do you understand one third of the world has never heard the name Jesus. They don't know this gospel. And I watched men and women who had a burden, who had a burning desire, not just those that were here, but on those videos at the risk of their own life. We need a church, hallelujah, that'll get a vision, amen, of the world today. He bought the threshing floor. It was on Mount Moriah. The place, as I said, Abraham offered Isaac, Genesis 22 and verse one, amen. It said after that, it came to pass that God did tempt Abraham, a better word would be test him, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, amen. And he said, take now thy son, your only son, Isaac. The name Isaac meant laughter. It, it, it was because Abraham and Sarah were, he was a hundred, <laughs> Are you hear me? When he was born, Sarah was 90, in her upper 90s. And when, when uh, the angel said, by, according to this time, when he visited the tent door, uh, according to the time of life, you ladies know that's nine months from now, you're gonna hold a son. And Sarah laughed in the tent door. How can this be? My old man's dead. I'm dead in age, in her bodies. It ceases to be after the manner. How can it be? It was God, can you say amen? And nine months later, they held that, that Isaac, that laughter, that joy. Can you say amen? He was, you folks know what I'm talking about, holding a baby, your child for the first time. It's joy, amen. But imagine if you had to wait 100 years. Are y'all hearing me? Or 75 years after, or 25 years, I'm sorry, he was 75 when God gave him the promise 25 years after the promise old man and woman suddenly God has given them a miracle there's laughter there's joy can I tell you that's what the church has got to get hungry for amen we got to get to the place that so many are being born in our altars amen that we're so 
Woo! We're so full of joy that we want to name every one of them laughter. Can you say amen? I don't know about you, but there's nothing that stirs a heart of a born-again believer any more than to see somebody get saved. If you've lost that, can I say it? You backslid. You need to get right with God. Amen. Give him praise if you would. Hallelujah. Verse number two, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Get to the land of Moriah. This is the place. To a mountain that I'll show you. Amen. And offer him there as a burnt offering upon the mountain that I'll tell you of. Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one. God is building a temple. I'm gonna put my name there. You know the story. Amen, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it'll come to pass that my people, if they've sinned and they've been carried off in captivity, God said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and just look toward that place, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land, I'll... I don't know if I'm not preaching good this morning or something, but I've come to tell you David bought a place, hallelujah. He bought a spot, amen, that connected him all the way back to Abraham and then connected him all the way forward to Jesus. Are you hearing me? Amen, it was a place, glory to God. And he built, the Bible said, 2 Chronicles 3 and 1, Solomon began on that spot, began to to build the house of the Lord at, at Jerusalem. Look at this, in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David, his father, in the place that David had prepared the threshing floor for Rona, the Jebusite. I know it says Ornan there, but it's just a, a different translation of the name. And, and somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you. When God establishes something, can I tell you, he does not change it. Are you hearing? Whoa, hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, praise God. I don't know if I'm gonna get any work done today or not. I'm just gonna preach all day. I feel so good. Is anybody hearing me? I'm telling you that 43 years ago last week, I knelt at a place called Calvary and the blood of Jesus washed me clean and just a couple of months later, I entered into the upper room and got baptized in the Holy Ghost. What God did then, God does now. And it's time for the church to go back to its roots, hallelujah, and begin to be what God. The other night in the prayer meeting, they, we had prayer meeting and they, they started at seven. I, we'd worked all day. I, I, I worked right up to prayer meeting time. I went home, got a bite to eat, and just kind of relaxed for a moment. Came back at eight for the prayer meeting and it was, it was going. Some people had already left and I, I'm not, Criticized, no, I'm just telling you what happened. I, I came back at eight. I prayed with them till about 10 or a little after. And we thought it was over. And I was tired. And I said, I'll see y'all. And I left. And after I left, they were getting ready to leave. And suddenly the Holy Ghost said, just a minute, I'm not done. <laughs> and the glory of the Lord fell. 
Are you hearing me? And they were here till two o'clock in the morning and the presence of God was so powerful in this place and they told me about that the next day and there was a couple of emotions that went through me. First of all, I was sad for those that left early. Next, I was mad at me for leaving <laughs> when I did, can you say amen? And then I was ecstatic because of what God did as they told me about it. But then I began to think, but God, I know this is for more than the, than the than the prayer meeting. Come on, somebody help me. I'm expecting a time we're going to come into this place. Glory to God. One of them said the other night, they said that uh, God kept saying to them during that prayer time about this time tomorrow, about this time tomorrow. They did, and they, they asked me, they said, what does that mean? I said, well, if you remember, that's the story of the four lepers outside, amen, of, of, of uh, Samaria. Uh, Samaria, that was the, the, the capital of the 10 tribes of Israel that had split, and of course, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, but Syria came up and besieged the city, and they were starving to death in the city. They were doing unbelievable things, like eating their own children, cannibalism, and eating animals, and eating dove, uh, dove manure. I mean, they were starving. Are you hearing me? And there was four lepers outside the city. And you know the story uh, that uh, the prophet came to the king and said, uh, by this time tomorrow, there's gonna, I'll just translate, there's gonna be an abundance of food, everything you could ever want. It's gonna be here tomorrow. And one of the leaders, one of the princes that leaned on the king's arm, that, that doesn't mean he was just a servant. Man, he was an influential man in the government. And he said, if God would open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? He doubted it. You remember the story the prophet looked at him, Elijah said, it's going to happen, but you won't enjoy it because you're going to die. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? And I told him, I said, what all that means about this time tomorrow? That's, that's what Elijah said. God has an appointed time. God does things on his schedule. And I tell you, we were, we're remiss. We do wrong when we get impatient with God. When we decide, well, I've heard that and heard that. I don't know if it's going to happen. But what are you going to do if you're one of those doubters standing back saying, I just don't think it could happen if God opened the windows of heaven. And suddenly the glory is poured out and there's an abundance and there's revival and people are getting saved and getting filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something. I know the COVID, the pandemic, is a, it's a part of reality. But can I tell you, God is still God. Hallelujah. I never intended to sit back and wait till it was over. I'm trusting God. I've been trying to use wisdom. We've got ropes up and we've wore masks and we've shut down the church. But I believe that we're approaching that moment when God's about to show himself. Hallelujah. It may be about this time to Tomorrow, it may be today. God has an appointed time. Are you with me? So all of a sudden, David says, I'm going to get that threshing floor. That's the real estate God's told him to buy. Hallelujah. Trina, would you like to have been the real estate agent to broker that deal? I know what you'd have done. You'd have said, keep my commission. I got a part in this anyway. The Bible said he bought it for 50 shekels. First Chronicles said he bought it for 600 shekels. I mean, I've been studying this. And, and there was some saying, oh, that's a contradiction in Scripture. No, if you go back and study that, what you'll find out is that David did pay 50 shekels for that 30 by 60 plot that was actually the threshing floor. But then he paid 600 shekels for the whole mountain. <laughs> Woo, 
hallelujah. He said, this belongs to God, hallelujah. And so David bought, he said, I won't offer, amen, that which cost me nothing. The cost of the sacrifice, that, that place there where Solomon, according to 2 Chronicles 3 and 1, would build the temple. And the cost of the sacrifice, the, listen, I need you to understand something about giving. And I, I, I don't usually say a lot about giving, but I need to. Because some people are getting cheated concerning giving. I made a statement last week. I said, everybody's getting a stimulus check. That's $1,400 a person for men, women, and children. Some of you are already getting nervous. You know where I'm going with this. If about 300 people that are connected to this church would all pay their tithes on that, that'd be $42,000. You talk about, we could do a lot of stuff with that. Are you with me? But I know, preacher, you're just, you're, you just go too far. But I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to show you an opportunity. I had a man walked in yesterday and said, you said that? And I thought about tithing on that stimulus and he just brought me a check for the whole thing. So I just want to stimulate myself, just give you the whole thing. $1,400, woo! Anybody got an ear to hear? <laughs> the purpose of giving, David knew, is to generate, listen, a generous heart. David understood the value of giving. He wanted to, you know, when he went and got Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, the, 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 the custom of kings, can I say it that way, would be that when you took over the throne of another king, you would kill all the heirs. You don't want to give them a chance to rise up and overthrow your, your kingdom. But David said, is there any left of the house of Saul that I can bless? They said, well, there's one boy down in Lodabar. You don't want to move to Lodabar. It means the house of no bread. Means a place of hunger and starvation. The king's grandson is living in starvation. He's Jonathan's son. Remember Jonathan? He, amen. He was the, David's covenant brother. When Jonathan died, David said his love was better than the love of a woman. And I heard some perverts say they were homosexuals. No, they were not. David was saying it was a covenant love between men of God that we would give our lives to defend. Jonathan even took off his sword and his battle belt and gave it to David and said, I know God's gave you the kingdom. That's all right with me. You know what he was saying when he gave him his sword? I will never fight against you. Never. And so all of a sudden, David, he understands what it means to be generous. He sent and brought Mephibosheth back and said, you eat at the king's table. And he gave him his, his grandfather, or his father and grandfather's holdings. And he, and he made Zeba the overseer. And, 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 and Mephibosheth, can I tell you, became a millionaire overnight from living in poverty to being a millionaire eating at the king's table with people managing his, his, his properties. That's, that's what God did with him. David understood the value of that. So the purpose of giving, he knew, was to generate a generous heart in the believer. I thought about this when Israel gave for the, for the tabernacle in the wilderness. And when they gave the, the gold that they brought out of Egypt, they gave it. And then when they gave to build the, the temple that Solomon was building. Do you know the Bible records that they gave so much that God told, said, Mate, tell them to stop. That's, that's enough. Tell them to quit. I long for the day that I get to walk up here and say, y'all just quit giving. You're giving too much. 
Now, I heard you just then. You said these preachers, all they think of that is money. Get over yourself. I'm not a millionaire. I never will be until I get on the other side. I don't guess. If God wants, if he wants me to give it to me, go ahead, and I'll just use it for the kingdom. But let me go on. The purpose of giving is to generate, of, of, is to generate a generous heart. Giving generously goes against the old nature. But it's perfectly consistent with the new nature, being a new person. There's a key to this kind of living. In, second, or in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you now, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world. Don't act like the world. Are you hearing me? The world is, is greedy. The world holds back. Can I, can I just say this as pastor of the church? In 40 plus years, I've seen people hold back on what God told them to do, not what I told them to do. And I could stand up and give you examples, but I won't. I've seen them hold back on what God told them to do, and I've watched them gradually decline into to this to this, this state of corruption and be destroyed financially, spiritually, physically. I've watched the world fall apart because they disobeyed God. I, I don't say that, I say that with a broken heart. I've thought about people sometimes that have disobeyed God and died miserable deaths and it's, and it's broke my heart to think of who they could have been. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So David bought the threshing floor for 50 shekels. He bought the mountain for, for 600 shekels. But then it said that David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, God had already stopped the judgment. But David said, what we're talking about goes beyond escaping judgment. How many of you know people? They got saved and that's all they're happy about is the fact that they're not going to hell. I've escaped judgment. I got a get out of hell free card. I don't have to go to hell. And we got whole doctrines that are preached about you can do that and just still live any way you want to. That's contrary to the book I'm preaching from. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. <laughs> All things become, well, preacher, you ain't perfect. No, sir, but I'm forgiven and I'm sure trying to be perfect. Amen. I'm not sinning willfully. And I tell you, you'll never catch Owen out cheating with some woman or sitting in some bar. Say what you want to say. Oh, you shouldn't, you know. Oh, let me go on, let me go on. So he offered burnt offerings for sin and peace offerings, which meant to restore fellowship with God. David knew the most important part of his life had been affected. It was relationship. You know, how many of you guys walk in the house sometimes and you feel a cool breeze kind of blowing through the house? Attitude's different. The atmosphere's changed. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. How many knows that doesn't mean nothing? It means there's something wrong, and you better find out what it is and, and deal with it. So David knew the relationship with God wasn't what it was supposed to be. 
Am I preaching all right? So he bought the floor. The, the plague had been stayed. He offered a burnt offering for the sin, but then he offered a peace offering, which had everything to do with this communication between me and my God, my relationship. So the son of David comes later, Jesus. And these offices, you know, David here, when he offered the sacrifice, I need to say this, he stepped into the place of a priest. In chapter 23, you read it, he writes a song which is a prophetic word. He, he moves in the office of a prophet. He's been anointed three times to be a king. So how many knows he's a king, he's a prophet, and he's a priest? And so when Jesus enters Jerusalem, let's, let's fast forward to Palm Sunday. He doesn't just come in as the son of man. He comes in as the king, the priest, and the prophet. People recognized this in Israel when they saw what he did. They saw how that he spoke the word and blind eyes were open. Prophecy doesn't just mean foretelling the future. There is prophetic gifts that do that. But prophecy means speaking under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and speaking forth directly the word of God. Jesus spoke and blind eyes were opened. Jesus spoke and the seas were calm. Jesus spoke and withered hands were healed. Jesus spoke and leprosy was cleansed. Jesus spoke and the dead were raised with him not even being there. So all of a sudden the Bible said in Matthew chapter 20 and, and uh, verse number 30, it said there were two blind men sitting by the, by the way. And when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out and said, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, Bartimaeus did the same thing. The scripture says here there were two blind men. I believe it's two separate occasions. Both of them, Bartimaeus and these, said, thou son of David. Say that with me, thou son of David. They recognized he moved in the, the anointing of David or, or, or like David's. And uh, the Bible said in verse number 31, the multitude rebuked them that they should hold their peace, but they cried more, saying, have mercy on us, and they said it again, thou son of David. Now, when Jesus at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Matthew 21, verse 8, said, or verse 7, said they brought a donkey and they put, they put their clothes on it. never been sat on it. He rode on it, fulfilling prophecy. But verse 8 said, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the palm trees. That's why they call it traditionally Palm Sunday. And strawed them in the way like they would do for an entering king. And the scripture said, the multitude that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna, what's this? To the son of David, Hosanna became adapted as a, just a, a word of praise. But do you know what it means? The word Hosanna means save now. Save now. What David had established when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, you gotta understand they were under brutal Roman oppression. He's entering Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit moves on these people to start shouting it. Save now, thou son of David. I want to tell you, amen, what David bought, what David established, what Abraham had did, amen, where he had offered up Isaac, where Solomon had built a temple. Now Jesus is approaching and they're crying out, saying, save us now, you son of David. Son David. You see, David moved in that anointing. Prophet, priest, king. 
Jesus came in that anointing. Prophet, priest, king. Now he's the son of God. Don't nobody lose sight of that. In the spirit, he's God. But how many knows in the flesh, he's man. And they identify him with the historical David. Prophet, priest, king. Nick, come if you would to the music. Now, here's the ministry of the Spirit-filled church. When Jesus entered that day, they said, Blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us now, God. We need you. Do you understand? Those people understood they needed the Messiah. Somebody said, who is it? They said, it's Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. The, the priest came to Jesus and said, tell your disciples to stop saying this. Jesus said, if they do, the rocks will cry out. Do you understand? It was the message that God wanted them to hear. What's God want the world to hear today? He wants there to be a church that moves in the same anointing. Prophet, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Can I, can I translate that? They began to speak as the Spirit gave utterance. Can I give you another definition of that? They began to prophesy. They began to speak forth the Word of God. Look at, look at verse 6. It said, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they heard every man, every man heard them speak in their tongues. And, and it enumerates all these people that were from all over the world who were Jewish descent but born in foreign countries and spoke different languages. And they, like, they were like us. If, they, if we went to Mexico, they had to have a translator to tell them what they were saying. But suddenly, all of a sudden, these men are prophesying. They're speaking in the languages that they hear. Verse 7 said they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all of these men Galileans? Verse 8 and said, How hear we? How do we hear every man in our own tongue uh, wherein we were born? Verse 11 said, We do hear them speak in, the to in our tongues the wonderful works of God. I've been amazed over the years, and you will be too if you think about it. How many of you have ever walked into a church and some man that didn't know you started speaking under the Holy Spirit and read your mail? Got right where you were living. Told you what was going on in your life. Preached a message under the inspiration of God that convicted you of your sin. Huh? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Preached a message, maybe even as a Christian, and challenged you to move from the position you were in because you weren't doing what God wanted or warned you of an upcoming battle or an attack or understood what you're going through. Paul, I'm sorry, what's your wife's name? Ashley. I was sitting up here a while ago and I just looked back there at you and the Lord gave me a word for you. He said, I am your strength. And he said, what you have felt that you couldn't carry, he said, feel me raising up in you. That's what I hear the Holy Spirit saying. I am your strength. And you will carry this and you're coming out with victory. He said, I've raised you up and brought you to my kingdom so you would be 
a great witness of my glory. I have no idea what that even deals with. I just know what I heard the Lord say. This is God that we're dealing with. We are the church. Brittany, we're the blood-bought. General Assembly of the Firstborn. We're the sanctified. We're on our way to being glorified. We're spirit-filled. And the world does not just need to look at us and see us as one of them. We're in the world. And political correctness has corrupted the church. I don't mean to be unkind. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I love what Buddy Turner said here the other night. His wife went through a horrible ordeal with cancer, chemo and radiations. And, and he said in, down up there in Hazard, they had a, a group of, of cancer survivors. And they had a meeting. You know, they all went to the cancer survivor meeting. And he said, we walked around the track and we lit candles and all that. And he said, when it was over, he said, he looked at her and said, you can come back if you want to, but I'm not coming back. She said, well, he said, by God, woman, we're not survivors. We're overcomers. Hallelujah. Are you with me? We got to be that church, that spirit field, that church that speaks and people get healed, that church that walks by people and our shadow falls on them. Amen. And people get convicted. Are you hearing me? Today, God wants us to be people that people get convicted because we're there. Amen. Many years ago, before my father-in-law passed away, before he got saved, he drank a lot. He lived a lifetime of that life. It destroyed the family so many times. And they called me one night, and he was in a bar. He was down in the seat, and he'd had a heart attack, and they thought he had another one. And they didn't know what to do, and he told them to call me. That's when all those bars were on First Street, those those dens, those places up there, darkness. They called me and said, you got to come get him. I hadn't been in a bar for years. I opened the front door and walked in. I guess I probably looked like Matt Dillon walking in with a gun on. That place, when I walked in there with all that carrying on, that darkness and that thick smoke, and I'm not, I'm not, building me up I'm just telling you when I walked in you could have heard a pin drop people stood back I could see the look on their face what's he doing here they didn't know who I was some of them did most of them didn't know who I was and I walked back through that place and I said where's my father-in-law and they said he's back here down in the pew and I walked back there and I looked at two old beer drinkers I said get him up they lifted him up out of that seat they helped me to the car with him and I didn't go in there being mean or ugly. I'm just telling you, when a child of God walks into darkness, light has to fill the room. That's why we tell our young people and our people, be different. Amen. You don't have to look like me, although I don't know what's wrong with that, but just be different. The world's going to hell. Now, son of David, have mercy on Hosanna, save now. That ought to be the cry from the world when they're confronted with a spirit-filled church. They ought to be saying, save now, oh God. Tired of bondage, tired of drugs, tired of drinking, tired of adultery, tired of filth, tired of the entertainment they call it, that mess that they call entertainment. It's trash. 
You hearing me? Stand with me. Blessed is he. Special, precious. That's what the word means there. Blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord, that spirit-filled church. Can I challenge you today? Let's be that church. Let's be that church that moves in the anointing of David. David built a tabernacle of worship and his singing man brought the presence of God. And let's be that in our worship. Let's be, the, let's be the son of David. Amen. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be Christ in the world. That the world might know we're the answer. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for hope and blessing and favor. I know without you we can do nothing. But in your presence there's fullness of joy. God save now. Deliver now. Heal now. Bless now. Encourage now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your head bowed, your eye closed. Is there anybody here today, Pastor, I'm not saved? Anybody like that? I'm, I'm, I'm ready for Christ to make, to make me, to transform me. I don't want to be conformed to the world. I want to be like Jesus. In fact, you hold up your hand. I need Christ in my life. Maybe you're a child of God. You need, to, you need to turn back toward being spirit-filled and being spirit-led. In fact, you just hold up your hand. Pray for me. Pray for me. I want to make a difference. Glory, glory, glory. I want you to look this way. Nick's going to sing. If you want to pray, the altar's open. Amen. Let's worship God today. like David, that looks like Jesus coming in, making a difference, oh God. Hallelujah. Hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.